Uh, last week, we finished up uh, talking, we, we started off in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 4. If you want to turn there, we're going to be there again tonight. Uh, but what we finished up with was basically noting that there is nothing new under the sun. Right? And, and the, the thing specifically that we talked about that's not new under the sun is, is our emotions that we deal with. And our emotions that uh, tend to, to take us where they want to go as opposed to where we probably should go all of the time. Um, and we had some discussion groups. We're going to do the discussion groups again. <laughs> Is that you, Steve? Steve's, Steve's <laughs> excited back there. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I didn't even know what that was. I sounded like the crowd went wild there for a second. <laughs> but specifically, so there's, there's no new emotions under the sun, uh, we just live in a society currently that is trying as hard as it possibly can uh, to explain away God, to convince us that God does not exist. And so if God does not exist, then God's solutions to our problems that are not new, we've got to come up with new solutions. Because we're just too smart of a society to accept that God is real. And so if God's not real, God's solutions aren't real, and so we have to invent ways to deal with the problems that we have in our lives that are taking us all over the place and dragging us through terrible decisions because we just don't have control and we're, we're just letting our emotions run wild with us. And so those were the things that we got into the discussion groups uh, about. I hope those were good conversations for you. Uh, but we're going to continue on with those thoughts. We're going to keep building and working through this passage. I think it's really good. We're only going to hit three verses uh, tonight mostly just uh, two verses we're going to focus on. But God's Word has given us everything we need to deal with the things that are not new under the sun. He, he has the ability to confront our anger when it's out of bounds. He has the ability to, to conquer our fear. And He certainly has the ability to lift us up when we're sad and we're depressed because life has us down and life is just too heavy. He has the answers to all of those issues. And so I, I put a, a little note in, in the, the notes there. And, and if, if God has given us what we need to keep us from allowing our emotions to run us whatever direction they want and keep us from getting off track, uh, the note in, you, in your notes, it says, if your thoughts and emotions agree with God's word, your decisions will be aligned with God's plan for your life. If your emotions and your thoughts, if you can get them to agree with God's word, your decisions are going to follow. Right? Your decisions will then be aligned more likely, certainly aligned with God's plan for your life. It's when we are overcome with emotion and it contradicts what God says. We say, no, my emotion, it feels too real, it feels too strong, there's no way God could be right. Or even if God's right, I feel this too much and I'm just, I'm just going with me. Right? Those are the times we get ourselves in trouble, right? Those are the times we allow our emotions to take us down a path we should never go. And once you start down the path, then things begin to unravel. And, and in the, the discussion group that, that I was in, we, we talked about you know, sadness. When, we, when we're not able to deal with sadness the way that God has prescribed, we end up finding ourselves in depression. It gets worse, it gets muddy, it gets messy, and, 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 and it's difficult. It's not an easy thing to deal with, but God has given us solutions. When 
when we don't deal with our anger the right way, well, then it turns into wrath. And God says we don't, none of that belongs in our hands. If we can't deal biblically with the emotions, they become something bigger, they become something messier, they, they overlap one another, and then we don't know what to do with anything. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. That includes your emotions. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what we saw last week is that God has provided ways, ways for us to deal with those thoughts and emotions. The world is also arguing against those things. The problem is that the world is, is convinced there is no God. And if we look at the Psalm 14.1, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They, are, they have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So if we're looking for a solution outside of God, God says that solution is what? It's foolish. Now, you can say, but, but it works. Depending on whose definition of works and what you're actually after. Are you, are you after numbness and not feeling? Or are you after peace? Those are not the same thing. Those are very different things. If you just don't want to feel, you cannot say that that is peace. But what God is offering is peace. So it's completely different. If we carry that one step further, we're, we're seeking our solutions to our emotional struggles outside of a relationship from the Lord. We're, we're seeking that from something that's found in foolishness. Something that says there is no God. There is no solution that God came up with. God says that's foolish. And so we don't want to track after those things. We want to make sure that we're in line with what God is proposing for us, is prescribing for us. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to continue where we left off last week. We're actually going to pick up in verse 9. Again, we read that last week. Um, and last week I gave the message the title, A Healthy Walk with Jesus. Tonight's a, simply a continuation, so this is, we're just calling this a worthy path. Because he said this choice is worthy of all acceptation. He said it's worthy of us accepting what he's proposing. And that's because it works. So if we're going to walk with Jesus, we've got to be on the right path. We've got to be on the path that he's on. You can't walk with the world and say, I'm walking with Jesus. Because he's not walking with the world. And so we have to make sure that we're walking where he's walking. Let's go ahead and start in verse 9. We'll just read through 11. And we'll get moving in into this so that we have some time to to do some discussion again. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 9 through 11 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. And we're going to stop here, because it, it flows right into the things that we're supposed to command and teach. We're just going to stop at that. We'll look at some of those things next week, and, and then the rest of the list uh, the, or not next week, next week we'll be in Thanksgiving service. The two following weeks, the first two weeks of December, we'll get into those um, other things. The first thing we see is a proper response. If we deem that this is a faithful saying and this is worthy of accepting, then we're going to have the right response. And that response we see in verse 10, we'll read it one more time. Therefore we both labor 
and suffer reproach. Our, re- our response is to be willing to work and endure difficulty. If this thing is worthy of following, if, if Christ's path is worthy of getting on and staying on and walking with him, we're going to be willing to work and we're going to be willing to work through and endure difficulty. There are three basic usages of this word labor in the Bible. One is uh, always tied to uh, childbirth and the pain of childbirth. Another usage is the, the results of your hard work. It's, it's sometimes just called your labor. And then other, the other usage is, is basically the labor, the hard work itself. Okay, so we see those three different usages all through the Bible. Um, all of them have to do with something that's difficult, something that's possibly painful, something that takes time, something that has a reward on the other side of some difficult work. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, are you, are you carrying heavy burdens in your life? This world says you need to lay those burdens down and you need to take care of you first. Jesus says you need to bring them to me. You, you need to bring those burdens straight to me so that I can give you rest. He doesn't say set them down, take care of you first, ignore everybody else, just stay away from anybody that bothers you. Right? You take care of you, and then you'll have energy to take care of somebody else. He says, no, just bring them straight to me. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So that's, it's not empty, it's not meaningless, it's going to have a result that God has said, he is, you know, he's telling you the results are going to be there. But sometimes, maybe you're like me, sometimes you feel like, man, I'm, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm laboring at this thing. Nothing's changing, nothing's getting better, nobody's, nobody's improving. I don't know if this is worth it. He says, it's absolutely worth it. But I don't feel like it's worth it. God says, I don't agree. It is absolutely worth it. It's not in vain. So we just need to choose. Who are we going to believe? Our heart or our feelings or what God said. Sometimes I feel like it's not worth it. He said it always is. Colossians 1.29, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Have you ever had a time where, you know, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm trying to, trying to share the gospel, I'm trying to always be involved and and it just feels like God's not even here with me. Anybody ever felt that at all? Feel like it's just, man, I'm just in a dry spell. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I'm not learning anything. Well, he says, it's okay. I'm working inside of you whether you know it or not. Whether you feel it or not, it's actually happening. 1 Corinthians 4.12, And labor, working with your own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Well, what if it's worse than just not noticing God? What if you are noticing some, some pushback? What if life is difficult? What if, what if other people are persecuting you for what you say and for what you believe? That's, that's even harder than, than maybe a dry spell where I don't know if God's here or not. Well, I, I know my enemies are here. <laughs> that's a little bit more difficult. So this word suffer means to allow. So you allow the persecution do you endure or do you avoid? 
That's what he's asking us. The world tells us to avoid people who set off our triggers. Christ says to invest in them. Turn the other cheek. He's, th- they'll push you out of their, make them push you out of their life before you ever do that to them. Because they need Christ, and they need to see him. Luke 6, 22, blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. He says, I mean, nobody ever feels good when somebody doesn't like you or certainly hates the Lord and and anyone who has anything to do with it. Christ says, being reproached for his name, he calls it a blessing. I'm not sure I understand. Whose opinion matters more? Here's the question. He says that's a blessing. Do you care what he thinks, or do you care what the world thinks? Do you care what he has to say, or do you care what other people have to say about who you are? Because they will revile you, and he's going to call you blessed. I think I'd rather be on his side. But in the moment, man, that's hard. In the moment, in the persecution, when you're, when you're having a conversation with someone who thinks you're an idiot <laughs> or thinks you're crazy for believing what you believe, or you're, there's no way you can be intelligent and believe those things. I've, I've had that statement. I was like, well, guess I'm not that intelligent. Because I wholeheartedly believe those things. If you want to get into a, you know, a conversation about who's intelligent and who's not, it's all faith. You either have faith in what God said, or you have faith in what man said, who says there is no God, and God says that guy's a fool. So who's the fool? Who's the idiot? Who's the dummy? I'm sticking with God. Hebrews 11.26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You understand, Egypt is a picture of the world. The treasures in Egypt, everything and anything this world has to offer you, does not compare to the reproach of Christ. Being hated for his namesake, he says is more valuable than anything this world can give you. And we get caught up in all of the things that this world can give us. The immediate satisfaction, the immediate recognition, the immediate numbing of the pain, whatever. So how is it worth it? Why, why would we work so hard and be willing to suffer persecution? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because letter B is because we trust God. That's the rest of the verse. He says, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. He's the living God and the Savior. The, the, the last part says, you know, especially or specially to them that believe, and that means specifically. I mean, he is the Savior of all men. That doesn't necessarily mean that all men are automatically saved. We understand that, right? It means that if any man out of all men and women on earth are going to be saved, they have to go through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him, right? We understand that principle. No man comes to him. So he came to save all, 
and only those that come to him for salvation will be saved. Psalm 37, verse 40 says, The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So why, why can we work so hard and, and put up with so much? Because we trust him. And he says the process works, and he says the process is actually going to bless you, even though it doesn't feel like it at the time. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. We place our trust in him because he's the only one that can truly help. We don't place our confidence in men, including and especially the one in the mirror. The more confidence I place in myself, the bigger mess I find myself in. That's another lie this world wants you to grab a hold of. All you need is self-confidence. You just need a little bit of self-confidence. Well, self-confidence can give you a lot of things. It just won't give you the things that God has promised. I am not a very confident individual. For me to come up here week in and week out, I would rather not be in front of any crowds. It's just not where I'm comfortable. But I got some self-confidence, so I'll go ahead and do it. No, there's no way. There's no confidence in me whatsoever. There's two things that I'm confident in. Number one, God wants me to do this. And, And the more important thing is that I know that his word absolutely works. So I have confidence that if I, if I can just get you to understand, if I can just get you to grab a hold of something that he's saying is true, and you say, you know what, I'm going to try that out. I'm going to prove him right or wrong or whatever. I'm going to try it. I know it'll work. His word works. Place your faith in his word. I know it works. That's where my confidence lies. There's no confidence in me because I can't do anything for you. It's only his word. Romans 15, 12, and 13 says again, Esaias saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. He's talking about Christ. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that he may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. None of the power or strength or hope is going to come from self-confidence. It just doesn't come from that. There are a lot of things that can. You, you can get a lot of things out of life by having a little bit of self-confidence. But it's not enough if you're looking for peace. It's not enough if you need joy in your life. It's not enough if you need the power of God in your life. Your confidence in yourself is not going to get you there. And it's not like you need to beat yourself up some false humility. You just need to go to where he says to go for that confidence. You go to the confidence in his word. You go to the confidence that you can place in Christ. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's where we place our confidence because we have no confidence in the flesh. I think you guys, most of you have been around long enough, you've been walking with the Lord long enough to know that your flesh is capable of a lot of things, and most of them are pretty messy. 
Most of it's a distraction. In that verse, genuine worship and rejoicing, it does not come from your flesh. We, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. The second thing that we see, in verse, and we see this in verse 11, and we'll, we'll just go over this very quickly because this is pretty much setting up next time, but it's a purposeful responsibility. So we have a proper response, and we have a purposeful responsibility. He says, these things command and teach. So first of all, letter A, he's not asking. <laughs> he's not saying, these would be some good things for you to suggest. These, these would be some good things to put in your life if you want to. No, he's saying, Timothy, you need to command the believers in the church to do these things. There's, there's not an option here. The reason is, he, he's not asking because this is what God has prescribed. It's not about us determining we will go to God for help in this area, and we'll go to the world for another area, and we'll, we'll just have self-confidence, we'll just muster up our own strength in another area. He says, no, the, this is the prescription for walking with the Lord. God's way is the way for God's children. That's the point. The world's going to go its own way. God has a different way. He has a different prescription. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Proverbs 18.2, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. You ever heard that nonsense about, you know, just follow your heart? Go out and find yourself. What? How? Where do you look? What do you look for? This doesn't make any sense. I'm sure it makes a good movie somewhere, but your heart's going to discover itself. We, we've seen time and again what, what our heart is capable of as well. <clears throat> it's, it's no good thing. Proverbs twenty eight twenty six: He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely... He shall be delivered. The second thing, he's, he's not asking and he's not offering anything new. Now, it, be, it may be new to you, but the book's been around for a while, right? Maybe you haven't come across a specific verse. Maybe you haven't discovered what it is that's going to help you with the things you're dealing with in your life. You need to get into the book and you need to study. You need to get into the book with somebody else who can help you study who can help you find what God has promised with, that, that has to do with what you're dealing with. The promises are in there. He's not offering anything new. 1 Timothy 6.3 says, If any man teach otherwise, otherwise, other than what? Other than what you've already been taught by me, by Paul, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, if, if somebody's saying they need something new, they need something in addition to what Christ has offered, they need something otherwise, Paul says, that's bad news, man. Stay away from it. He says, if any man teach otherwise in, in the doctrine which is according to godliness, he goes on and says to avoid them. You've got to stay away from that. You've got to correct them, and you need to command them to stick with what Christ taught us. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, we know this verse, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, 
who shall be able to teach others also. And then 2 Timothy 2.24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. We should be ready to teach the things that we know are true of the Lord. The things that we know are true. We, we saw last week that it's, it's uh, good words and sound doctrine. I can't remember how, how it was worded. Can you look up the, the verse 6? For me, Vinny, read that. Words of faith and good doctrine. I, I was thinking of another verse, but that's, that's exactly what it is. Words of faith, what are you putting your faith in? It needs to be the words of Jesus Christ. And good doctrine. The same teaching that Paul established. The same teaching that Jesus told Paul to establish. Those are the things that we need to stick with. We don't need a new solution to our problems. We need the Lord's solution. Every time. So in conclusion, I'll just read a couple more verses and uh, these will likely apply to the discussion questions and then we'll, we'll go ahead and split up into the groups. Uh, if you don't have a group, we'll, we'll, we'll fix you up. Uh, just ask and we'll, we'll make sure you get in the right spot. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You're going to work, and we're going to endure suffering. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna push through. Here's the kicker, though. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can be conformed, or you can be transformed. It's the same type of thing. You can be numb, or you can have peace. You can have what the world says is going to work for you, or you're going to have what God promised absolutely does work. They're different. You can let this world beat you down into submission, or you can get victory. Those are all starkly different. They're, they're stark contrasts of one another. Galatians chapter 5, we'll read uh, very quick, 19 to 25. There are two lists here, two very opposite lists. Now the works of the flesh, this is the first list, are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So if anything he didn't think of, he says, and such like. Stuff like that. Of the which I tell you before, and I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the second list, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So notice Paul did not qualify the first list by saying, these are the evil works of the flesh. There's other works of the flesh that are okay. And he said, these are the works of the flesh. This is what your flesh will produce. And here's another list of what the Spirit of God will produce. Alan Shelby likes to say this is the best a lost man can do on a good day. Without the Spirit of God, 
working in your life without surrendering your life to him, without agreeing with his word, your flesh is only capable of a big old mess. And it may get you by for today, and it may distract you, and it may be enough. But does it work? Depends on how you define work. What are you looking for? Are you looking for peace? Or are you looking for a way out? Those are different. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll break up in our groups, and uh, there's just a few questions on there. Um, it is 8 o'clock right now, so let's uh, for sure try to, to go to 8.30, and if you need to get going, obviously you guys are responsible adults, so I'll let you uh, take care of your own time clock. So uh, Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I, I am so thankful that that you have given us the answers. Now, sometimes we need to do some work, and we need to dig, and we need to, uh, to beg you for direction, and, and you want to give it. You want to give us wisdom, and you want to give us peace, and all of the things that we need. And so uh, I do pray that you help us. Help us to, to conform and, con- and transform our minds by uh, just comparing them to what you have to say and correcting our minds and our hearts to what you have to say. Because if we disagree, and we often do, we need to go with you every time. And then our decisions will follow. I'm so thankful for this group of folks that, that do love you and love your word, and just pray that we would be uh, great examples uh, of how to follow. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.